filled out a question yesterday. If you happen to check your email, every time I send out an email, I feel like it's the equivalent of sending snail mail, you know, cause like you should text it or post it on some type of social media. But anyway, if you happen to check your email, uh, I sent out my opening question yesterday and it is, um, has your experience of faith been that it's more about a belief or that it's about actions? So put a note in the chat bar if you would like to answer and let's discuss. Oh, Daryl. Yeah, I really didn't want to answer the question, to be quite honest about it. Thank you so much for opening up that ugly wound in my life. Um, yeah, I have to be just bluntly honest about it. Um, it really is more intellect and belief, I think, or it has been primarily more so than the other. And that's not something I'm really proud of, to be quite honest about it. Um, it's kind of strange. While I've struggled with my faith and struggled with belief, you know, in the past, as far as it's never been a struggle with, is there God? That's, I've never doubted the existence of God and uh, his love and the existence of, of Jesus. Uh, that's just not been like that. I put all my eggs in that basket and I'm not taking them out. That's just kind of the way it is for me. Um, but it really gets to where you say, okay, push comes to shove. I haven't been challenged that hard in my life. It's been fairly easy in many ways. Push comes to shove. What would I do? when it really came down and I had to make a hard choice and that does haunt. Um, that really does haunt, but, uh, mm. you know, but so that's, that's confession time for me. <laughs> Thank you, Daryl. John, I think was next. Yeah. Well, I came to faith in Christ at 23 years old when I came out of drug rehab. I was born again in assembly God church, charismatic, so there it wasn't really about, uh, so much about belief or, di or, or applications. It was about feeling. Oh, my gosh, lots of worship, lots of worship. The sermons were really kind of all about prosperity doctrine. You know, obviously God wants to be, uh, see, it was God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and happy, and we have the, we have the proof text for that. If you want to get advanced, let's talk about end times. And that's about all they had. And I was with that for 10 years until I got suicidal. And I said, I did that my very best. I'm not healthy. I'm not wealthy. And I was not happy. I was suicidal. So that kind of drove me over to the evangelical side. And then I started getting, it, oh, it's about, there's knowledge here. There's, there's learning here. Oh, my gosh. What a deal, Lucille. And then that led me over Presbyterians and Baptists and, 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 and DTS, DTS, 12 to 12 years. And they're all about not as much belief as in, as in knowledge. They want to learn about the Greek and the Hebrew and the history. And I went, okay, okay, I can do this. I can do this. Read the Bible for yourself. Okay, I can do this. And then I came from First John where it says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. I went, that, there's a verb there. That's not a head thing. That, there's a do thing here. And I went, wow. And so what are your commandments? I did, I did, I did the Bible study on the commandments. 
an application. Be a doer, we're not here only. And I went way down that rabbit hole. I went, wow, Christianity is about applications. It's about, it's about head and heart and hands. I went, wow, that's Christianity. I looked around and went, nobody's using their hands. It's all about their heads. I went, bah! So the one person of all, and I've known lots and lots and lots of people, even though I'm not terribly social, the one man that I admire the most, uh, episode day, he, uh, he was studying to be a, 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 a doctor and Wycliffe brought him out and says, come translate the Bible for us. Okay. So several years translating the Bible for the native language. And then they went away. He went, now what? So he went around and evangelized. He brought all these people to Christ in all these villages. They had to go around to all these villages on circuit. That wore him out. So he said, you guys come back to me. I'm going to train you. For three days, you got to out there for three days and you rest for a day, come here, go there. If you do that for three years and you, you hit all these marks of knowledge and application, we'll give you a certificate. That's Christianity, application and knowledge, real world. I went, wow, that's the only model of Christianity I've ever admired highly, period. Mm-hmm. I've seen dozens of them. Yeah. 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 Thank you, John. Val, I think, I think you were next. Actually, Jen's in front of me. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't see that. Okay. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for keeping the line orderly, Val. <laughs> Thanks, number one. Um, what was I going to say? Okay. Um, so I think I grew up um, thinking that it was about faith. I mean, like what you believe. Um, and as... I grew, I felt like it was, um, really significant and important, uh, what you did, um, that both were, um, important and meaningful, um, and I still think they're important and meaningful, but I also think if God is the God that I think he is, that even when I have neither of those, um, that he's not going to abandon me. Um, and, um, yeah, if I'm correct, then that's a God worth following. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Thank you, Jen. Now, Let's double check. Was it was Val next? Oh, no, Ben. Wait, that was Jen. <laughs> okay, well I know that was Jen, but now I see Ben was like higher up in the chat. So, uh, Ben, did you also have something? No, no, that was earlier for gratitude and Aiden. That was communion. <laughs> communion. <laughs> I'm done talking about communion. We need to have like a, a, a line that's like, and now, no. okay. Um, Val, it's your turn. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I, I would say how I grew up and what I believed for a long time was that like, it was what you believed and almost like specifically like the, um, the words, like, uh, you needed to believe, like you needed to say that you believed in Jesus or in God. And then what you did almost only counted if you had that as your basis. And now, um, to be honest, it's something I, I think about a lot, but now I think a lot about how 
um, when I think about what we do, what I do or what I see other people do that I don't think the, the words of what you believe matter so much as it is what you're doing, right? Like it says, like, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So it's like, what did Jesus do? Like he took care of people. He fed people. He was there with the outcasts, with the lonely. He, you know, uh, turned over the tables in the temple of, you know, of people that were taking advantage of other people. And so I think a lot of times we see, we can see people that claim to believe in Jesus, but maybe they're not doing any of those things or we see the opposite, maybe someone that doesn't claim Jesus at all, but the life that they're living seems to point to him. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That, that, uh, resonates for me, what you said about, um, the things that you did almost don't count unless you have the right belief behind them, you know, like, so definitely, Um, I can look at a passage like this and I can say, well, obviously it's what you do is important. Um, but what you do is only as good as what you believe. And so then ultimately belief is like the most important thing, right? So you get the belief, right? And then you get the actions that flow out of the belief. Um, so thank you guys. That was all excellent stuff. Um, we're going to dive into this together. I want to back up a little bit um, into the first chapter of John. Um, so like starting in verse six, now Jill and I, Jill McKeeman and I were actually reading through first John uh, before COVID happened, which feels like 20 years ago. <laughs> um, but I think both of us kind of had had, uh, and I, I mean, I've read the book recently, but I think in our minds, it was like very much about love. And of course, that's the focus of the series that we're doing right now. Um, but when we kind of immediately hit on the first part here where um, he's talking about sin so much, we both talked about how it felt a little strange. It felt like like reading it just kind of left this weird taste in your mouth. Um, So I want to walk through it just a little bit. In verse 6 in chapter 1, he says, If we say that we have fellowship with him when we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Um, when I'm reading that, uh, kind of my first, the first thing I notice is that there are so many ways that we can fail. Um, we can have say that we have fellowship with him, but be walking in darkness. Um, we can be lying and not doing what is true, even if we believe in Jesus. Um, we can be deceiving ourselves. The truth might not be in us. Um, we can be saying that we haven't sinned and then making him a liar and his word not might not be in us. Um, and in my, I guess in my previous life, in my previous concept of God, um, it definitely felt to me as if I believed in Jesus, but then God was watching me very closely to make sure that I was doing everything and walking in the correct way. And that if I wasn't, um, he was going to be unhappy with me. 
Uh, and it made total sense to me um, back then, uh, partially because of, I guess, the church culture that I grew up in and um, partially because of my own internal baggage. Like it made complete sense that God would be standing over me, keeping track of my actions and um, ready to kind of cast me out if I wasn't walking the walk. Right. So it didn't bother me. Um, and then he makes this turn here in chapter two. He says, my little children. And that felt really odd because it's kind of, it's like my beloved. It's like, God is watching you, but my beloved, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You can stay on God's good side. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So there's a lot of ways you can mess up and you really should try not to. But if you do, someone else has been punished for it. Uh, the atonement, you know, he brings up the atonement here. And then kind of, this reminds me of the um, passage in Romans where Paul is going on and on about how wretched he is and how he does the things that he doesn't want to do. And then at the very end, he says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, right? And then he kind of turns away from that. Well, you almost think that's what's going to happen here. But no, John goes right back to it with, now by this, we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. So he's like, we're forgiven, but we also have to obey his commandments. And it felt very much like, uh, um, you're forgiven. There's someone to pay for your mistakes, but God's still kind of a little upset that you're making all these mistakes. Does that resonate with anybody else? That feeling of, um, I might not be getting it right. Um, God is really wanting me to get it right. Uh, and if I don't, that's disappointing to him. Does that resonate with anyone else? You can nod or put up a hand or something if we don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to chime in briefly. Uh, you know, our, our men's huddle is reading, um, uh, Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy. And in that he calls it the gospel of sin management, mm. um, which is a phrase that has really resonated with me a lot ever since reading that part. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, so reading that, like I said, in my previous life, when I think I believed in the gospel of sin management, um, like I said, this didn't really throw me for a loop, but when Jill and I were rereading it together, um, I think God's brought a lot of healing into my life and into, I think, even us as a community, um, growing together and knowing that he loves us and knowing that he loves our neighbors and knowing that he's, um, pleased with us. Right. I think about Val and one of your messages, you talked about feeling like running down the hall and saying, there's no test. There's no test, right? God loves us. And so to reread this passage with kind of that in my mind, the old way of reading it didn't, I mean, it didn't feel right. Like that's not the God that I know. That's not the God that loves us standing over us thinking we're going to be banking mistakes. Um, so one key thing as I was looking at it for this week, that is very important to understand um, about what these letters are being written for is that the gospel of John uh actually in John 20 verse 30, he says that the reason that we're writing these things is so that um, you can know and believe that Jesus Christ 
uh, is the son of God and have life in his name. Right. So the gospel is being written to people who don't know who Jesus is. And it's being written to tell them about their condition and tell them about Jesus's remedy for it and uh, that kind of thing and talk about who Jesus is. So if we follow that in first John here in the second verse or the second chapter, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Um, he's writing to people who already believe in Jesus, right? He's writing to people who already believe in Jesus and who need to know now about how to um, live out their belief and their actions together. Um, first, second and third John are all written um, to people who are having controversy and conflict over what it means to um, believe and to act like their orthodoxy and their orthopraxy are in conflict. Uh, there are some of people who don't believe that Jesus is fully human um, and that only the spiritual realm, uh, only the spiritual side of him is the side that matters, right? So our human actions aren't really that important because as long as we believe and we're going to heaven, then what we do is not all that important. And so John is particularly writing to people who are already believers um, to address this issue. Um, so if we go back into, um, chapter one and verse six, all of these things that he's talking about, um, if we say that we have fellowship with him or we're walking in darkness, we lie and don't do what is true. He's saying that, um, our actions matter. He's saying that uh, we can't just believe that we do have to act. And I think because he knows that that might make people feel painted into a corner or make people feel a little bit of despair because, I mean, we're very human and we do not always line up our actions with our beliefs, right? Even when we try so, so hard. Um, he makes the turn and he says, my little children, right? It says, my beloved, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does, then we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Um, I think that word advocate is really important. Um, and he does bring up the atonement in the next verse. He says he's, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And I think it would be really easy to go with um, the escape from our feeling of discomfort is that Jesus has paid for our sins. So, um, God loves us. Let's keep trying to get our belief in action, right? But Jesus has paid for our sins. And I think that is one side of it. The other side of it, I think in here, especially considering that later he's going to be talking about, uh, Jesus being fully human is that Jesus isn't just our advocate who paid for our mistakes. He is literally the embodiment of what it means for your beliefs and your practice to fully match up. Right. So he's not an advocate for us while God watches us and watches us make mistakes. And then Jesus says, OK, OK, don't punish them. You've already punished me. No, I think Jesus is our advocate and our example. who's like already started down that road. He had, he's the one who the love of God has been perfected in. He is that human who has fully experienced what we've experienced. And he's also God who's uh, 
knows and believes all the right things. And he's been that for us. And so he's our example. And he's the one who's calling us further down the road to say, keep going, keep going, act things out, do what I commanded you to do. Keep going. It's good down this way. Right. Um, this is, this is going to take you a good direction. Um, it says that he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I think his death on the cross um, is kind of that ultimate physical acting out of the things that he believed, right? Um, and I do wonder, and this is completely speculative, but I do wonder if um, there were times, like we tend to think of him as being fully God and in my perception, that means that he always knew what was coming next. But I wonder if there were moments where he was very fully human and did not know what was coming next. And he had to just keep acting it out. He just had to keep moving forward physically in the direction that he was going. I think about him in the garden of Gethsemane, um, you know, sweating blood and the praying and saying, God, I don't want to do this but if it's your will, I'll do it. Right. It's kind of like that ultimate um, expression of where maybe our actions lead before our beliefs, right? Maybe instead of having the exact right belief, there are times that we have to act and then our belief follows what we act on. Um, I think that uh, in Jesus case, where it says that he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Um, I think he's explaining that when we are fully living into our actions and beliefs, when they're fully integrated together, um, then that's when real change happens, right? The cross, the atonement is not just some spiritual transaction. Um, it's all together a spiritual and physical transformation. And I think that that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of practice and the kind of belief that we're being called into. Right. Um, and then he kind of turns in verse three, he turns back to now by this, we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments, right? Whoever says I've come to know him, but does not obey his commandments is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist, but whoever obeys his word, Truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. Um, I think Jesus is an example of how the love of God reaches perfection, right? Um, by this, we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Um, that last part, walking just as he walked, and then Val's comment, kind of along the same line at the beginning, it made me think of the, um, what is it? The Hillsong song, Oceans, <laughs> uh, which we all know is extremely theologically correct. But um, <laughs> I like the line, uh, the line where it says, take me deeper than my feet would ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. And that just kind of reminded me of this whole little snippet. It's like, um, take me to places where my belief would not lead me, right? Take me in my actions to places where my belief might not lead me. And Jesus is going to be there and bring my belief out, right? Like my belief is going to be strengthened by the actions that I take. Um, 
I think it can go both ways, that our belief can lead our actions and our actions can lead our belief. And I think the encouragement here is um, that we have someone who's done that before, right? That we don't have to get frozen. I think sometimes we can tend to get frozen and get stuck on not knowing exactly what to do next. And I think the encouragement and the way that Jesus is our advocate is he's saying, don't get frozen. I'm out here. Take a step, right? Take a step, move toward me um, and move toward me. And that's how the love of God's going to be developed in you and how your faith is going to be strengthened. Um, what do you guys think about that? What does that make you think of? Um, I'll throw one out there. Go for it, Daryl. Uh, the thing that, that John, especially this first letter, that keeps coming out to me is that whenever we see the word command, follow my commands, obey my commands, one thing I think is consistent throughout the letter is that what Jesus did, how Jesus lived, was the love of um in, in some ways, it reads a lot like James chapter 2. Uh, and in fact, he even uses the same illustration that James uses about someone who's hungry and need and need and you do nothing to take care of him. Uh, and I, I think we, and this is that, that uh, tension between belief and action, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, as you said, uh, the tension being I've got to get my doctrine right, uh, the teaching right. And that's, you know, again, it's, we, we use these words, these theological phrases, they're fancy words to say what I believe, you know. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that what Jesus came or what I see Jesus coming to say, yeah, there is orthodoxy, there is right belief. But the right belief is basically focusing that God identifies with us, becomes human, identifies with us, and shows us how to treat one another and how to treat a world. That's the right belief. Uh, people say, we got to have this right doctrine. Well, love one another happens to be high up there on right doctrine. Loving your neighbor happens to be the highest uh, in right doctrine. Um you know, Jesus says, love God, love your neighbor. But I, I find it interesting that in all of the letters that follows, whether it be Paul, James, or John, they keep on saying that if you just follow this one rule, that this wraps it all up. And what is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. It just keeps hammering back to that. Um, so, and I, I guess... Maybe we can't do amazing heroic actions in our context where we are. Maybe it is that one cup of cold water, that one bit of kindness, that one action that demonstrates not, not because I just want to get some sort of reward out of it, but just because just because it's a good thing to do, just because it benefits another human being. 
and even when I am doing it for ulterior motives, <laughs> even when that does sneak into there, even then that's so that it, maybe the ulterior motive's not not right, but we have an advocate, and it's what the psalmist says: He knows you're made of dust. He knows you don't have it together. It's yeah. okay. He, he knows you're made of dust, and he still says, get out there and do something. Bingo. Bingo. And I love you. I love you. Terry and I were talking about that uh, driving yesterday and talking about how, you know, I hope I never, you know, she said, I know that knowing my personality on my deathbed, I will probably say, did I do enough? Mm-hmm. You know, just knowing my personality. And I, I said, yeah. and my response will be to you will be, of course not. Yeah. But God loves you. And that's yeah. all that matters. Yeah. That's all that matters. That's the, I think that, that idea of like love being perfected, the love of God being perfected in someone when we do things, right? Or that perfect love casts out fear. And it's like, I don't think God's love can fully inhabit you if you are not trying something like that's the door that's the door that his love comes in through is that vulnerability of actually doing something right what is it if god recognizes the bad motives doesn't he also recognize the good ones yeah when we mess up he still knows that the motive was okay yep uh who was next let's see i think john was next and then beth so john yeah uh love one another it is so simple, it's so profound, it's so central to the Bible, it's so much what John talks about, you know, and uh, it is both orth- orthodoxy to have the right, the right beliefs, you know, God bless the Baptist forever, you know, and the Church of Christ, where people got that stuff all pinned down nicely, and the Presbyterians take it away into details, you know, but then you have all of that, but the, that's all you got, Jack. You know, so come back and get some more Bible lessons and you get some more knowledge. And, oh, boy, that'll get you head in heaven. Well, but then then Presbyterians broke off. They said, well, fill you on that. We're going to go. We're going to go liberal. We're going to go all deeds, deeds, deeds. And then they, but they forgot that the, the, the praxy without without the doxy. But then there when I just said that years ago, it is not just orthodoxy or the praxy. It's orthopathy. That's what that's what Daryl's talking about. It's it's the right <clears throat> It's the right heart. It's the right intention. You can go out and feed the poor to be showing off. You can be feeding the poor to try to leave your own guilt. You can be out there doing good deeds to try to, for, for, to, to try to find the girls. Single guys go out with, in single meetings to hook up with girls. They don't care about Jesus. They want, they want dates. You know, wrong. But, and God knows that. And where this comes home to me, it's why, that's why I love going to 12-step meetings. There's people, they're dealing with their drug addiction, their alcohol addiction, their workhol addiction, their codependency addiction, their eating addiction. They know that. <clears throat> and they try to do right. And they fall. And the only way to get themselves up is that 12-step, they, they turn their world their life with the care of God. They pray. They get back up. They have to know that God loves them in their stumbling and fumbling. At the end of the day, the path is narrow. The way is hard. There's going to be hardships. What gave me great hope lately is I'm reading a book. Uh, Shepherd looks at Psalm 23. Oh my gosh, what a wonderful, wonderful book! And it is, and it, it, it shows the gentleness and the goodness of God, and He is getting us up out of our jams and going and get us 
is the love of God leading us. And when I came out, out, of, uh, out of the fog of, of my addiction, that what helped me the most was, because I could barely hold on to good ideas, was follow me. What I can do that. Follow me. And again, the image of the good shepherd. What, I can follow the shepherd. That's it. That's Christianity for me. Yeah. Follow the good shepherd. And that's yeah. why I love First John so bad. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the the trying to get your, well, not trying to get your motives right, but um, I think, too, there's an element of our motives can become refined through what we do. Uh, if we're out there doing something, that's where God's like, let me show you how your motivation is incorrect and let me, you know, let me change that. Um, but if we're just sitting and we're frozen and we're like, I'm afraid I'm going to have the wrong motivation. Um, I don't think that he can work to change it in that situation. Right. Like he's, and and that's what I say a lot at the seminary that that, that people get real anxious at seminary. What's the will of God for me? Well, I want to know God's perfect will. Go do something, you know, get into motion and you'll find out. They go motion action, but I'm not sure. Well, try something. Yeah. Jesus will direct and correct and, you know, trust yeah. God, do something yeah. in his name for his glory, not just any old silly thing. Yeah. 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 Beth, what's your, your next? So my thoughts on this have changed um, pretty recently, actually, like as a person of privilege, I think that like I grew up thinking like, do something like, you can, I can choose to go out and do something and, um, kind of love hard to love people. Um, like that was a choice. Um, but with Aiden's, um, recent diagnosis of a really like rare and progressive form of epilepsy, I'm learning that, um, I have to love this is like a new situation where I'm kind of being forced into something that I really don't want to do. Um, and that has been really hard. So that has been really hard. Um, so that has given me kind of a new perspective. Like I'm loving and I'm doing the actions of love through something that I have not chosen. And that's giving me a new perspective on, on things. I've thought a lot about COVID and just like when I was thinking about this, just kind of this, um, like I used to feel like, okay, I can, I can get out and I can reach out to my neighbors as much as I make it happen. Like I had control over how much mission I did. Uh, it was on me and now it just feels like that's all been taken away and it's kind of a weird dynamic to realize that God's still very present in all of the tiny physical things that I'm doing with my kids or, um, and not in these big, more meaningful things that I would have chosen, I guess. Um, yeah, choice, choice, and it kind of changes things. Oh, Beth, that's really good. That's really good. Anybody else? Thoughts? Reflections.
Okay. Well, thank you guys very much for engaging with me. And um, I'm going to just pray for us really quick and then move to mission prayers. Um, dear God, I just thank you for our community. I thank you for the people here on the Zoom call, the people who are not here. Um, I pray, God, that you would um, give us today a a day where we're refreshed in your love for us, in your care for us. Um, God, that today we would truly be able to rest. Um, and then I pray that tomorrow we would be able to walk into whatever you've prepared for us um, with hearts of faith, God, um, with trust in you. Um, and God, knowing that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.